And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Mark Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Super Bulldog Weekend Week here in Starkville. And we're live at the Southeastern Sports Group Studios in downtown Starkville. And we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Farm Bureau, they have agents in every county, every community in the state. You know where to find them, everywhere you go. They have the best customer service, the best rates. Check them out at favorites.com and go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Well, Charlie, looking back at last week, and let's look back two weeks ago. We're sitting at 2-4 and four in the SEC. We had just gotten swept by Arkansas, and you knew with the upcoming schedule with Kentucky, who at the time was 5-1 and one in SEC play, and then Auburn, who has struggled out of the gate in the SEC. You felt like you knew coming later in the month of April you were going to have Ole Miss and then Vanderbilt back-to-back, that if you were going to make some hay, it really had to be over the last couple of weeks. And we went 6-0. and So we really did exactly what we really needed to do. At the time, I thought that Mississippi State really needed to win five. But once you got those first five and you were looking at Auburn on Sunday, the way that you had just beaten them, you felt like you really needed to go ahead and get that sixth win out of six games. And now you look at it, you go from being 2-4 and four in the league and feeling like you're really struggling in the West to now being only a game out of first place in the conference as a whole. And now, look, you got a tough two weekends coming up, but you've put yourself in position to be what you wanted to be, which is one of the best teams in the country. And if you are and you play well the next two weeks, you're going to go a long ways to putting yourself right in that national seed, not just in the conversation, but at the top of the conversation. You know, Charlie, on Sunday Coffee this past week, and if you don't know, Charlie and I do a Sunday show as well on Out of Left Field, the podcast version. It's just a podcast show only. So if you're listening to this, and we thank our great friends over at WFCA 107.9 in French Camp for airing this show each and every week. But on the podcast side on Sunday, we just kind of get together and we just talk about the ball game. So subscribe at Out of Left Field if you want to hear that Sunday show. But we talked about the first two days against Auburn, about how you're kind of lucky in the Friday game. You run out of a pop-up in the Friday game. You went 7-2 to in the Saturday game. And then Sunday, we did our Sunday coffee talking about how we thought it was big on Sunday to get the sweep on the road to kind of get that game back that you lost against Arkansas. And then you come out and you score 10 runs in the first inning. Now, it was a double-edged sword a little bit. We jumped out to the big lead. We probably did not pitch it as well as you would have liked. And you could say the same thing for Tuesday night against Arkansas State. But for all intents and purposes, Charlie, this team offensively is beginning to hit better. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think it's just a situation of this team is beginning to kind of come around and come into its own offensively? Or have we just not seen as good a pitching over the last couple of weeks? Yes, as as to both. If you look at it, the pitching has not been the same. You know, you look back at that game on Sunday, what Auburn ran out there, you run out a freshman with not a ton of experience. He was just overmatched. He was in a tough spot, made tougher by the fact that his team was trying to salvage a game. So Gonzalez goes out there, and he's just in a real tough spot. And then it looks like we faced some teams that just weren't as well, – it just didn't have as big of arms. That's not to overstate how good Arkansas's arms were. I thought that, candidly, we made some guys in Arkansas who were just okay look a whole lot better than they really were. So that kind of lends me to saying I do think the pitching isn't quite what it was, but I think that our hitting is getting a lot better. You know, I look at the point that – 
we made on the broadcast the other night about how we're getting production now out of the leadoff spot, something that we haven't had this year. And we've talked about this at nauseum. Everybody knows. Rowdy knows. He's just a different guy. Yeah, it's almost like he's got to his play himself into baseball shape in the first month of the season. He's looking like Rowdy Jordan right now. And so then all of a sudden you pencil him back at the top of the lineup, and then you see just how important it is to have a guy that's a table setter at the top. And he's not just a singles guy and a guy that steals bases. He's a guy that has some pop. He homered in the game on Tuesday night. That was his fifth home run of the year. He starts with a double in the Sunday game off the wall. That kind of gets you going there. So just looking back at how Rowdy Jordan is kind of putting things together for us, you know, Tanner Allen is hitting the ball well, but the top of the order – you're really getting a lot of production right now. And to me, that's that's why this team has gotten so much better over the last couple of weeks. We're kind of taking the, the page from Arkansas a little bit. It, this has not been a team over the last two weeks where you have to have a single, a guy moving over to third on a ground ball and then hoping for a sacrifice fly. This is a team that's scoring runs with big at-bats. What you mean by big at-bats, explosive at-bats, doubles, home runs, sometimes some triples, but extra base hits. We've been getting some big hits over the last week. The other thing that we've done, we've been really good running the bases. How many times do we get a single, follow it up with another single, and our guys are taking third almost every time? It is very rare that we end up with back-to-back singles with guys on first and second. We've been – Probably a little underappreciated for how aggressive we've been on the base paths. And I go back, though, I think one of the really big differences in Mississippi State right now is what you said. It sounds simple to say, but as Rowdy Jordan has gotten better, this team has gotten better. So we're sitting here today on April 14th, April 15th, I guess it is. It's tax day. That's no fun. No, tax day, they moved back. Oh, did they? It's now May the 5th, 15th, Uh, isn't it? Well, we don't give tax advice on this show. So, should we? I think we should. Well, no. In <laughs> fact, uh, my legal degree compels me to say nothing you are hearing today about taxes should be relied upon. <laughs> or baseball. You'll help for that matter. <laughs> so you go back and you look, though, on March 14, we're coming out of that weekend series with Eastern Michigan, and Rowdy had upped his average. So this is after he'd been playing well, but he was sitting at 234. And here we are now, a month later, he's at 306. That's the difference. You're getting production out of the top of the order, and you weren't earlier. Okay, let's talk about pitching for just a second. We're going to talk to Scott Foxhall in just a moment and get his thoughts of here early in the season about the Bulldog pitching staff. But I look at the Sunday game at Auburn. You get 10 early runs. What does that do to you for a pitcher? Like Jackson Fristo, you're amped up. You're ready to go. You've done your bullpen session. You get ready. And then you sit in the dugout for about 40 minutes while your team scored 10 runs. Do you feel like you have to be as fine at that time? Does that does that hinder your performance at all when you've got such a big lead? Typically what you would say is you get the big lead, just go out there and throw strikes. Don't get us beat. Then when you go out there and you throw strikes and you give up hits, all of a sudden people want to know why you're not as good. One of the things I think, though, that bothered me a little bit about that game on Sunday was the fact that the walks were up. You had a wild pitch. You had a ball. So I just didn't think it was as clean. But it is, look, it's very different pitching in a 10 to nothing ball game. And I think one of the things you mentioned is really underrated. That is, you're in the bullpen. You're ready to go. You're expecting about 10 minutes before you're on the mound. And we hit forever. And it has to have an impact. 
okay, let's fast forward to Tuesday night. And then Tommy Raffo's bringing his team in. It was great to see Tommy. Tommy was an assistant coach here for 15 years, but he was a great player, one of the great players in Mississippi State history. And, Charlie, when you and I did our draft last year, he was very high on our draft boards, a very good first baseman. But it was great to see Tommy and Paula and just just a great family and good to see them come back and bring his team from Arkansas State. He's had some tough issues this year with his pitching staff from a standpoint of injuries early on. And I think you saw that late in the game when we scored all those runs, 12 runs in the eighth inning. But then they put together some runs in the ninth inning. But we talked about this early in the year. The thing we talk about is non-conference play and non-conference games. We have done a very good job. And even though the other night was tight early on, we've done a really good job in non-conference games this year, and that will help you when it comes to site selection and where you are in the NCAA tournament. One of the things you go back and you worry a little bit about, and you may tell me not to, but if you look at the ball game on Sunday at Auburn, you look at that ball game Tuesday, we haven't been great at times. And I can go back to the game on Friday even at Auburn. We haven't been as clean as we needed to be out of the bullpen. It'll be interesting to see what Scott Foxhall has to say about that because I wonder if one of the downsides to having all this depth in the bullpen we've had is that you aren't getting to use individual guys enough and they're just not as sharp as they need to be. I think that's legitimate. I do. I think it's legitimate. Just there's such a big difference in throwing bullpens and then getting out there where grandmas and grandpas can watch you pitch. It's just different under the lights. And so we'll talk to Scott Foxhall when we come back. Mississippi State, we'll sit in a good shape right now, 8-4 and four in the SEC, big weekend series with Ole Miss upcoming. We've got a great show for you today. Scott Foxhall, the pitching coach at State, going to join us. And then we'll talk to Kyle Peterson, the Kyle Peterson, the analyst for ESPN. He'll have the broadcast on Friday night with Tom Hart in game one of the three-game series. So looking forward to it today. Appreciate you listening. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield here with you. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest farm-raised catfish in the world over in Itabina, Mississippi. And you can check it out at your local grocer, or you can go to some great restaurants in the south. And no better place that serves the Heartland Catfish than Georgia Blue. They've got five locations and the thing that I really love about going to Georgia Blue, they've got great stuff. Every time, every time I go to Georgia Blue, I get something different, and I like it, but I really like the Bayou Catfish. It's that fried Heartland Catfish served over corn and cheese grits, tomatoes, okra, and it's just great stuff. Got a crawfish cream sauce on top of it, but the Bayou Catfish at Georgia Blue, that's one of my all-time favorites. And You can check them out at Georgia Blue at any of their five locations. You've got Madison, Flowood, Brookhaven, Starwell, and South Haven. And so Georgia Blue, where you can get that great heartland catfish. So let's go to the phones. Let's talk to the Mississippi State pitching coach, Scott Foxhall, joins us. Big weekend coming up, Super Bulldog weekend, three-game series with Ole Miss. And I guess, Coach, before we get to talking about, you know, this weekend and about the staff and everything, you know, we talked to Chris Lamonis a few weeks ago, and he was talking about – just the management of the number of guys. And you're the you're the person I thought of as being the pitching coaches. Just the numbers, the sheer number of pitchers that we have. 
I don't think people really understand the practice schedule throughout the week. How tough has it been or how different has it been for you just to have to manage the bullpen sessions of so many guys throughout the week? Well, it's been a challenge for sure. The The guys have been great. So the, the positive is we have a lot of really conscientious pitchers and they're very accountable. So a lot of the um, a lot of it falls on them, and they've accepted it that, it, that they're responsible for um, their work and, and their work ethic. And, and yes, you, you know, as coaches, we put together schedules and organize the practices, and, and we, we try to make sure that we know what's going on with each guy. But when, when there's a 24-to-1 pitcher-to-coach ratio, <laughs> they really have to be accountable, and, and uh, they are. So um, I would say – um, it has been challenging, but the, the challenge is probably lies more with the players and, and them, them being a little more self-accountable in their work and, and being very purposeful in their work. And, and uh, I, I tell my guys that no matter what the numbers are, you know, uh, on the staff, I, I tell my staff every year that each, each pitcher is his own best pitching coach. And I truly believe that. And, uh, you know, we, we're getting guys that are going to go into professional baseball and, I tell them all the time, you're going to have probably double-digit pitching coaches in your professional career. I mean, as you move through a minor league system and, and the way um, those jobs turn over and, and on your journey to try to become a big leaguer, you're going to have so many pitching coaches. that, And, and probably each one of them will help you, but, but uh, you, you've got to be your own best pitching coach. I can't be on your shoulder in the middle of the game. I get one visit or or, you're, or Coach Lim's coming the next time. So you, you better be the one that's coaching yourself. And, and this group's kind of taking that to a, a different level because of the numbers that we have. Bar. I know it's a long answer. I, and you, know, you probably weren't looking for a long answer, but um, that's, that's kind of the way it's been this year. No, I want to add to that. Just, just to tag on, do you think, you know, having the pandemic last year and sometimes guys grow up a little bit more when they have something taken away. And then all of a sudden too, you add the factor in of there's so many guys and then it, that ratchets up the competition. You know, you talk to so many, so many players when they get into minor league baseball, it's almost like, okay, it's on me now. And I've got to figure out a right. way if I want to pitch. Do you feel like last year kind of accelerated that, that mentality and mindset for an 18, 19-year-old where usually it's 22, 23 when they get that mindset? I think absolutely it did. And, and they had to grow up faster and they had to become more accountable to themselves. And, and I, I think it's better that when they're that way. That's, that's why I always tell the pitchers that, that, that hey, you're, you're own best, you are your own best pitching coach because the sooner they realize that and they know, man, it's up to me, uh, then I think that's when they have a chance to take off because there's been so many great um, things about our game that have um, that that have uh, gotten better over the last few years. One of the things that I'm not sure is better is just all the lessons and all the the voices that these guys hear coming up through their high school careers and travel ball careers, and you almost they almost become dependent on other voices and you know look for feedback too much. Um, from from people that you know maybe don't know them as well as they should, and um, I, I think the the sooner that these guys learn, man, I'm I'm responsible for myself. I'm responsible for um, my bullpens. I'm responsible to to be accountable, and and it's up to me. Um, then I think they're 
more confident and they're stronger in between the lines and, and they, they don't feel like they have to have somebody sitting on their shoulders telling them everything to do between pitches to, to make it better. It, it, the sooner they understand that, um, I think the tougher they are and the better pitcher they become. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It might have accelerated the process a little bit, Bart. I'm kind of curious. A lot of times, you know, some things in life are kind of like riding a bicycle. You just get on and you do it again. I've argued that pitching is a little bit different. If you want to stay sharp, you have to have reps and you have to a lot of times have them on the mound. It's one thing to throw in the bullpen. It's another to do it with the lights on, the scoreboard working, and an umpire back there. Do you see your guys at all struggling in the bullpen or guys coming out of the bullpen struggling just not being sharp at times, perhaps from not getting as many reps as you would like? So, Charlie, you, you hit the biggest challenge. That is, that's the bigger challenge. The, the getting the work in, our guys have had great work ethic, and I think they've grown up and become more accountable. But um, there is no substitute for pitching in the game. And there's no substitute for those experiences that you get in the game. And, and there's, there's no substitute for the game keeping you sharp and focused um, so that you can continue to have good outings. So at, I would say that part of it has been the biggest challenge for us as the coaching staff is making sure we're getting the right guys enough work so that they stay sharp enough. I told the staff last week, I said, hey, I look around the country and teams are using the same reliever three days in a row. Teams are throwing one reliever 50 pitches on one day and the next day they're bringing them back and throwing them 40 pitches. I said, I have to feel like at some point our advantage is going to be that you guys are going to be fresh. But those guys are also the ones that are getting used so much on the other teams. Those guys are also really sharp because they get to pitch all the time. And so that is our challenge is that we got to make sure that we um, stay sharp. And so managing that as the coaching staff has been the biggest challenge. And then, I, you know, again, I challenge them, hey, you have to be – when you don't get in the game, you have to make sure your bullpens are very purposeful and that you're throwing game-ready pitches and that you're putting yourself in situations as best you can in the bullpen. They have to be as game-like as possible so that you stay sharp. But, yeah, I think I worry about that more, the using the guys the right way and getting them enough reps than I do about their work and, and what they're doing in practice. You know, it's interesting. Bart and I obviously keep up with box scores, looking what other pitchers around the league are doing. And there's one thing that we have not seen on our team, and that is a, a lot of ones in the pitch count uh, of starting pitchers, meaning you're not seeing a lot of triple-digit pitch counts from our guys. And I'm curious right. how much of that is just deciding, hey, we've gone through the order this many times, and how much of that is deciding, look, we're thinking long-term, not trying to do too much to win a ball game in March. Well, I think it's a balance of those two for sure. And uh, as we're on the recruiting trail and, and we meet with recruits and, and potential um, major league pitchers and their parents, we want to look, we always look them in the eye and, and say, we're going to take care of your son and we're going to make sure that we, we always see the big picture and that we know he's got a career. And um, those aren't just words. Um, we feel strongly about that. And, and so um, that, that certainly plays into it. Um, I think the strategy of, hey, we have a lot of really quality arms in the bullpen and, and different looks, and 
um, you know, how has the game gone and, and is it the right time to, to make a switch because of, you know, whether it be, hey, this guy's already pitched out of a couple jams. We don't want him to pitch out of a third one. Hey, this this part of the lineup saw saw the ball really well against this guy last time. Let's let's switch it up. Um, the lefty righty matchup. Um, all of that goes into the game too. So it, it is a definitely a combination of um, balancing the big picture for keeping our guys fresh the whole season, and hopefully um, they're fresh when we make a run for Omaha to balancing their career and making sure we do a good job and, and we're good stewards of the talent that we've been given and also um, the strategy of that particular game where we're making the decision. So all of that kind of goes into it and, and uh, you have to make that decision kind of on the fly every time. But all those things are running around in, in my mind and Lynn's mind when we do make the decision. Talking to Scott Foxall, Mississippi State pitching coach. and Coach, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the, you know, there's no – secret that strikeouts are up around college baseball, professional baseball, travel baseball, everything is relied upon a strikeout. And we're one of the top we're one of the top strikeout teams in the country. You've been a pitching coach for a long time and how you've seen the game evolve and how, you know, there's so much you just start looking at an Arkansas where it's not about piecing things together. They're up there looking it's all that major league mentality of we're going to try to run one out of the yard and that's how we're going to try to score. But from a pitching standpoint that's kind of evolved as well. It's like kind of an all-or-nothing approach that sometimes about getting strikeouts. Have you changed at all? I mean, how have you had to evolve as a pitching coach over the the last 15 years because the game is just changing so very much? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing um, that I see, and, and I, I think maybe I've tried to do it, not to say that I was – a trendsetter on, or cutting edge or anything, but I, I think that I've tried to do it my whole career as a pitching coach, but I've seen it more prevalent lately is using the up and down in, in the strike zone. I, I think um, growing up as a young player and pitcher that in and out was emphasized a lot more than up and down. And, uh, you know, you, you, you think about Greg Maddox and you think about the, the guys um, that I that I grew up watching in the major leagues, the pitchers that, that you know, you painted the outside corner and, and you jammed it in and, and, you know, you worked both sides of the plate. And that's, that's what you heard a lot about with the pitching. And um, really now, I, I think this with, with the, like you said, the, the home run mentality, you really try to get above and below the bat more than, than we used to um, in, in, my, in the pitch calling sequences, I think. So you see a lot more elevated fastballs, guys swinging through those, and you see a lot more swinging over the top of the ball. So um, I don't know. I'm sure a lot, of, a lot has changed, but that, that stands out to me as, as one of the biggest things as far as the strikeouts. Um, and, and people understanding how to strike guys out that are trying to hit home runs. It's just trying to get above the bat and below the bat a lot more, I think, than, than in the past. Looking at the weekend rotation, it looks like things have started to settle in. You, obviously, McLeod's been pitching well. Bednar's been outstanding. But, you know, it looks like you've had a pretty good performance out of a freshman on Sundays, too. Kind of, Where do you see your, your rotation right now? I think it's pretty solid right now. Um, th- those three guys, Christian went six, 
which, you know, tied for his longest outing of the, of the season um, last weekend. And, and Will gave us the, the longest outing of a starter on Saturday when he went seven. Jackson had a weird game on, on Sunday where, where you score 10 and, and you just, you know, that, that game turns into uh, like, like most of them do when, when you score that many early, it, it just turns into managing that game and you, you probably don't get a, a, a normal start. But he's been great on Sunday. So I, I think those three guys are, are um, pretty solid right now. We have the luxury of having Houston Harding, who is, you know, who came in and, and cleaned that game up a little bit on Sunday uh, at Auburn. As he, We have the luxury of having him as, as a um, hybrid, um, that if, if something happened with one of those three guys, I, I think it would go to, to Houston and, and uh, he, he could certainly do the job and been one of our best guys up to this point in the season. Um, and, and then, you know, you have, you have some other guys that, um, that I think could, could start, but I have been really good for us in the bullpen, like Brandon Smith and um, Preston Johnson. Um, that those, those guys have the ability to start. Um, even Stone Simmons, I think has the ability to, to be a, a good starter down the road for us. But um, right now, I think those three guys that, that we've got going on the weekend are uh, doing uh, great work for us and putting us in position to, to win each day on the weekend. Hey, Coach, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Hail State. And that's Bulldog pitching coach Scott Foxall talking about the, this weekend, talking about pitching in general, just a different thought process now, it seems, in college baseball when it comes to pitching. So good stuff. When we come back, we'll talk to ESPN analyst Kyle Peterson. He's live in his hometown of Omaha. He'll have the broadcast of the Friday game with Tom Hart. But back with a word with Kyle Peterson right after this on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. That was a great conversation you just heard with Scott Foxhall, the Bulldog pitching coach. And now time for another guest line segment, this time brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, producing the finest pork sausage you can possibly eat down in Florence, Mississippi, on Highway 49. You've got the original, the jalapeno cheddar. All of it is at your local grocer to make sure you just go and you may have to pick through it a little bit. We talked about Walmart here in Starkville. I went out to Walmart, even the neighborhood market over here by campus. Man, they've got it all, everything. Blueberry maple, the jalapeno cheddar, the jalapeno pineapple, all these great flavors. And so if your local grocer doesn't have it, ask your local grocer to carry it. And if you can't get it to your local grocer, the next time you come to Starkville, bring a cooler. Go by anywhere here in town and just load up and take it back with you. Or you can go down to their storefront on Highway 49 in Florence. Great tailgating items. And this conversation with Kyle Peterson brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And let's go to the phones. Let's talk to the ESPN analysts who will have the Friday night game. Kyle Peterson joins us. And Kyle... We talked to Dave Neal back during football season, our good friend Dave, and he was talking about the setup of doing a remote broadcast. Man, we wish you and Tom Hart were going to be here with us this weekend. And just looking at how your setup is at home. You know, Charlie and I, when we do the game on Saturday, Sunday, we've got the one monitor, and that's about it, and that's it. We're seeing everything else with our eyes. 
what do you have in front of you that you're trying to figure out? Do you have a, the entire field view? Just just what all? What's your setup look like when you get ready to broadcast a game Friday night? It can vary a little bit. I mean, there's a flat screen next to me that I don't know. It's probably 30, 40 inches. That is where my the game feed comes in, which is what everybody else is seeing at home. And then on the computer in front of me, there's a Zoom feed there. And that's the one that we can alter some. So some some guys will split it up to where there's four different looks. I like personally just having that all nine where I can see the entire field. And and then it it be just because if you want to look down and see where defense is before a play, or you can look down and see if guys are scoring if they're not following the runner. It gets to be though, and and this I think has been the biggest challenge. It's just mechanically remembering to look there because you so I mean if you're doing a game, I mean you will know, like you. you I watch the pitch off the monitor, then I watch the rest of the game on the field. Um, and now you're just you're 95% dependent upon what the game feed is. So it's whatever. It's funky. It's hard. We miss stuff, which stinks. It's just you're not going to see as much as you would being on site. But like we were talking about before I came on, I mean, we're doing games. And last year we weren't doing games. So I'm definitely not going to complain about it. I'm glad we get an opportunity to do it. I'm glad they're playing. Bart and I talked back before the season began and kind of thought this would be one of the most talented years of college baseball that we've seen. You had the shortened Major League Baseball draft. You have the extra years of eligibility, the expanded rosters. You get to watch a ton of games. Is is that bearing out to be true? I think so, yeah. I mean, I you know, you get a five-round draft. You get a bunch of high school kids that showed up that wouldn't otherwise. I mean, same thing with junior college kids that you know, would have gone somewhere between the six and so, yeah, I mean, I, I can't honestly tell you that, that it, it feels like the talent level is drastically different than it's been in the past, specifically in the SEC, because there's always a ton of depth. But I think when you look across the board, it's, it's a very fair statement, just because there's more there's more kids that got an extra year in college to develop. And at, at that age, you can see a lot of development. I, w- I went back and looked the other day. Jonathan India was playing second base for the Reds. I just want to go back and look at his historic numbers when he was in Florida. And I think he may be the first two years to get, like, eight home runs combined, and his junior year, he has 21. I mean, think back to the jump that Ben Attendee had. Ben Attendee had, like, one home run his freshman year, had, like, 20 his sophomore year. So you can see that growth and that jump in college, and when you give these kids another year to potentially hit that jump, then our talent level is just going to go up across the board. We're talking with Kyle Peterson of ESPN. Kyle, this week in Division I baseball, State's ranked number four, Ole Miss is ranked number six, but five of the top six – in the D1 baseball poll or in the SEC. What's the difference right now in the SEC and the ACC, the Big 12? Is it just just it happens to be the top teams right now are in one league, or is it just a difference in how the leagues are playing? No, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the Big 12, I mean, State Ole Miss and Arkansas went down in the, the I think it was the first weekend of the year and played Tech, ECU, and Texas, and, and the SEC went 8-1. Now, that's not the end all. Teams can grow over the course of the year. So I'm, I'm not saying that's, you know, the, the, but it's, it's the most direct comparison that I think we have on a weekend when you look at those two leagues. That being said, TCU is pretty darn good. Tech's pretty darn good. Texas is really good. Texas swept South Carolina. Uh, so there's another that just, at least you can look league to league and compare it. But nobody's as deep as the SEC. I, I think it's that way every year, but I think it's even more so now. The ACC is deeper now. I mean, you got Pitt that's got a chance to play. In the postseason, that's happened three times in the program's history. you got Notre Dame that, as of right now, maybe a national seed, but they're definitely going to host. Virginia Tech's better. I mean, Pitt swept Florida State Miami this year. So the ACC is deeper, but top to bottom, it's just not as talented. We ran a graphic, 
I did uh, opening day had the A's and the Astros. And I think on opening day rosters, there was 91 players from the SEC, which was, if you took the second and third, which I think was the ACC and the Big 12, and added them together, it still wasn't as many as the SEC. So the talent level is still better. It just is. We were visiting with Scott Foxhall, Mississippi State's pitching coach, earlier today. And in talking with him, one of the things that we discussed was this idea, Mississippi State is basically throwing their starters five or six innings. Bednar, I think, last weekend went seven, but that was an outlier. You look around Major League Baseball right now, I think the New York Yankees have only one starter that has more innings than three guys out of the bullpen have so far on the season. And then I think back to when you were pitching. You know, that's back when a pitcher took the ball and you thought, I'm going eight or nine. Is this a function of just having more relief pitching, or do you think what we're really seeing is kind of a change in the game going forward? Well, I think you're seeing a change in the game going forward. I, I think the answer is, is both, but I think the reason is twofold. One is, for most pitchers, if you go look at the numbers, they progressively get worse as the game. From a starter standpoint, the stuff progressively gets worse as the game goes on. So you look at first time around the order, second time. I mean, this, this is the Blake Snell argument for taking him out last year in the World Series. That third time around the lineup, the numbers said he gets hit more than he has in the past. So when you've got the data to back it up and then you've got power arms to back it up out of the bullpen, then the two kind of work together. I mean, if the data said, hey, the starter's just as good the third time around as he is the first time around, then you wouldn't see the bullpens used the way that they are right now, both at the big league level and at the collegiate level. But the data most of the time doesn't say that. And when, when you've got, really, for most of these top programs, the number of power arms that they have the ability to run out of the bullpen, I mean, listen, would you rather have Bednar facing the lineup the third time around or Landon Sims come in and get you five out. That It just becomes that argument over and over and over again. Now, you got to have a bullpen that, that has plenty of bullets. But if you do, most of the time the data says, hey, you know, six innings, probably a pretty good number. Now, the eye test may tell you different, and I think you still got to go by the eye test. But it's the two work together, power arms and data that says third, fourth time around, they're just not as good. Talking to Kyle Peterson of ESPN, and Kyle – drilling down into this weekend and Charlie and I talked about this last week with the NCAA coming out and saying hey we're really going to take a look at the host sites at the end of this month instead of the end of May when you start looking at Mississippi State and Ole Miss this weekend and right now both teams ranked you know in the top 10 State at four Ole Miss at six do you think it ratchets it up even more and how important this series is just because of what you have coming in two weeks with site selections oh yeah yeah, I do. I mean, it's, you know, everybody, the, the beauty test is, you know, what is it, 18 games in the conference, 21 games in the conference, which I was talking to Kendall about this the other day. I mean, the, the, you're going to have, not could, you're going to have situations to where teams are chosen as a host. And I, I do think, I don't think it's going to be entirely on merit as much as it's been in the past. I think you're going to see it regionalized a little bit. But, I mean, you, you could see some teams, will see some teams that are going to host it won't be one season. But to your point, yeah, I mean, if you look really good over the next three weeks and the and the, the analytics say that, that you're one of the top ten teams in the country, you're going to get one. That doesn't mean that you're one of the top ten teams in the country four weeks after that when they pick the teams. But the way that it's set up this year, which I understand there's some things that need to be different, um, it's going to leave some loopholes and it's going to leave some one seeds that are going to have to travel. Kyle, you're an Omaha guy, and obviously Omaha, a name that is set around this town a lot. I'm curious, just what's the buzz around Omaha about having a College World Series again, and 
What did it do to the town, to the community, not having the tournament last year? Yeah, it, it, it beat it up pretty good. I mean, listen, everybody, you know, everybody got beat up through this thing. But when you've got a, a college world series that's bringing sixty, seventy million dollars into into the economy, and on the back end of that, you've got the Olympic swim trials that brings roughly that, if not more, and that got canceled last year. And then Berkshire Hathaway days, the shareholders' meeting for Berkshire is always a massive event in town. And, None of those happen. So, I mean, you know, from a downtown to, you know, the restaurants and the shops, the hotels and everything else, um, they're, they, they need it. They need it right now. And, and really from, just from a buzz within the city. Uh, I mean, this, this place, you know, it, it loves that event. That event grew up here. Um, and it, it just, I know all of us, it felt different for all of us just going through the, the, the year the way that we did last year with no baseball, but it's pretty dreary around here. Um, and the, the level of excitement right now is big. I mean, there's going to be fans, how many, I don't know. If I were to throw a dart, I'd say 50%, but hopefully we're in a better spot here in two months than we are right now. So, yeah, it's a, it was a massive financial hit, but thankfully it's a, it's a community that, um, that from a financial standpoint, is, is fairly conservative to start. And so uh, it went in in a, in a good place financially and, and I think comes out of it financially, but um, this is a massively important event, and it's it's nice, and and really it's it's essential that it's coming back. Kyle, we appreciate you. Hey, and uh, wish you were here this weekend. Hey, going back to that first question we talked about, is there something that that you miss more than anything? Is it the is it the ambiance of the ballpark, just being there at the ballpark? But from a broadcast standpoint, I just think about you know so many times yeah. you get those cool nuggets. You may have the the meetings throughout the week that you talk to coaches, but it always seems like you get the good nuggets standing by the batting cage about you know, yeah. an hour and a half before a game. Is there something that really stands out to you that you, that you really miss about being at the ballpark, the difference in broadcasting at home versus being at the ballpark? Well, to your point, I mean, you, you absolutely miss that. I mean, some of the, my favorite conversations are, are leaning on the, the cage when guys are taking DC and you can see what guys are working on and, and you can actually get to know them a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I'd be just fine if I never have another Zoom call the rest of my life. I understand that, that that's what we have to do right now to some extent, but just like basic interpersonal discussions, uh, um, I think that's that's one of the things I miss the most. I, I, I mean, it sounds hokey, but I miss the smell. I mean, I miss the environment. I miss the I miss the ballpark going nuts. I miss ten thousand people standing on their feet when something happens and, and it's it's cool to be able to see it from afar, believe me, because it, it, it creates a great T V environment. But it's different when you're sitting a thousand miles away and the dog's barking. It's just it's different. Um and so I just I miss being in the middle of the event. Um I'm glad that we have the event, but selfishly I miss being in the middle of the of the event because it's it's one of the reasons why we do this. I mean there's an adrenaline rush to to being in that ballpark this weekend and seeing 11,000 people and watching the smoke come from the grill. And uh, um, that's, that's what I miss the most. Kyle, we appreciate you taking your time with us. All right, guys, be well. I look forward to this weekend. Kyle Peterson, we'll have him on the TV on Friday night. Uh, well, we wish we could see Kyle this weekend. One of the good dudes, great ambassador for college baseball. So Charlie and I will come back. We'll have a final word to get you ready for Super Bulldog weekend, Mississippi State and Ole Miss right after this. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. That was great stuff, talking to Kyle Peterson. Yeah, I'm ready for Omaha to get uh, get cranking again. I hope we're there. 
and there's going to be some really good teams this year in college baseball. That's a great thing about and the tough thing about having such great baseball around the country. There's going to be somebody who jumps up and goes to Omaha this year. There's going to be like a Charlotte. There's going to be like a Pitt. You heard him talk about Pitt a minute ago, a La Tech. You just kind of get the feeling there's going to be a team that has a lot of experience that's not playing in a Power 5 league that's going to jump up there and go to Omaha this year. And one of the things that may play into that is are they able to host in the regional? Are they able to host in the super regional? Consider Notre Dame in that analysis. That's not a team that's been to the College World Series very often. And in fact, after Paul Maneri left, kind of hit on some hard times. But if they host a regional, if they host a, a super, who knows? Maybe that's a team that can make a run. Okay, let's look at two teams right now that are ranked in the top six. We're ranked number four, Ole Miss ranked number six, and those are the D1 baseball polls. Charlie, I look at State and Ole Miss. We're both eight and four on the season, and so it's still a small sample size after four weekends of SEC play. Should be big crowds this weekend. Looking forward to having great baseball atmosphere. But at the end of the day, when you start looking at comparing site host to site host and you start looking at all the variables that come in, this is a big weekend of baseball for Mississippi State and Ole Miss. It's huge. And one of the things I think we're really going to see tested for Mississippi State, number one, we didn't talk about this necessarily earlier, but we've talked about whether this team is getting better as a hitting team. I wonder whether we're getting better with our starting pitching. Will Bednar's really pitched himself into great shape. But, you know, McLeod had a rough couple of outings, comes back, he's pitched pretty well the last two. You wonder, is he faced weaker batters or is he getting better? I think it's going to be a big test for him on Friday night. And then this is an Ole Miss team who on Sunday scores over 12 runs a game in their Sunday ball games this year. And so all of a sudden you're going to be tested in that Sunday game too. Ole Miss last weekend, and this is taking out the win against Austin P. their last time out. First of all, they've hit in double digits with hits in seven of their last eight games. They scored 58 runs last week. And we talk about how great they've been offensively. Some of those numbers are kind of skewed with the way their Arkansas game kind of got out of hand in the Sunday game. But when you start looking at the stats, and Ole Miss leads the SEC in SEC-only games as far as average-wise. But kind of one of the misnomers right now is about the power up and down their lineup. They've hit 10 home runs in league play. We've hit 14. When you start looking at power numbers, State's actually hit more home runs than Ole Miss. Now, the thing that they have, they've got a great one-two punch at the top of their rotation. You'll see Gunnar Hoagland on Friday, Doug Nikhazy in the game on Saturday. You're going to see a different guy in the Sunday lineup when they've been pitching Diamond on Sunday. They're going to come back with McDaniel in the Sunday game. Our rotation, you look to see it the same as Jackson Fristo in the game on Sunday as well. But So both teams have really good starting pitchers in that one-two punch. But when you start looking at these numbers, State really has more power numbers than Ole Miss. I think one of the things that's underrated about Ole Miss is their ability to take walks. You look past Tennessee and Arkansas, who are at the top of the league in that. Ole Miss, one of the better teams in the conference at getting on base with walks and then just grinding out at bats. Look, this will give you a perspective of how well they're hitting the baseball. Just in terms of ordinary get-on-base baseball, even though we tend to think of them as a little more of a power-hitting team, they're hitting 315 in league games. That's 25 points higher than second place. Vanderbilt's second at 290. And so it's kind of interesting because the thing that I think about Ole Miss just as a perception is this idea that they're an explosive team. 
I think they beat you a lot more with the ability to get on base and just knock guys around than their reputation would lead you to believe. And you kind of wonder what losing Tim Elko, their third baseman, a couple of weeks ago does to a lot of these numbers. Because last weekend they played without Elko for the first time. Now, they scored a bunch of runs against Arkansas. And we talked about Arkansas's pitching staff. About To me, that was really the downfall of us a few weeks ago against Arkansas. The thing that really stood out to us is is how we were not very good at the plate. Now, Ole Miss scored some runs against Arkansas, and it was without Elko. And you kind of wonder who that next man up for Ole Miss will be. And they've got some guys in their order who are going to be really good. You look on the mound, Broadway's on the backside. You know, they've got a good second baseman in Chatagnier. So, I mean, this is, a, this is a good Ole Miss team. This is a good Ole Miss team. But I tell you what, if I'm sitting there doing an Ole Miss show talking about Mississippi State, I'm sitting there going, you know what? This is a good Mississippi State team. So that's, that's what makes it fun about this weekend is I think you're going to see a very fine line of success and failure. And I, I, we see that every week in the SEC, but I think especially this weekend because I think these teams are very, very similar. All right, we've got to ask the question, is it a bad time to be playing Ole Miss? Super Bulldog weekend. You know, we've had a lot of rough Super Bulldog weekend performances here, particularly in the Saturday game. Is it a bad time to have them in here? Here's my problem with a lot of different things. Is so many times I overanalyze things, okay? And what I'm about to say may not make sense. To me, if Tennessee comes in here and they're ranked in the top ten, Tennessee rolls in here and we got the big crowds and we don't know how to handle it some a little bit, but they play above their head because they're not used to it. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes a team comes in and the big crowds kind of makes them flourish because they don't have a chance to play in front of big crowds. I don't think that's the Ole Miss because they play in front of big crowds too. Does that sound – Is that am I overlooking that at all? I, I, don't, I think you're going to get what you're going to get. Well, I think the issue to me is a, something we've talked about before. We talked about this during the Arkansas weekend. Do you have guys – who are trying to impress the home crowd, trying to do too much instead of playing their game. I think it's going to be one of the big challenges for Chris Lamonis not to have his guys, it's not an issue of backing down or being bothered, but trying to remember their roles and to play those roles. I think that's going to be a relatively important job for him this weekend. So it's essentially the same as it was for Arkansas. Arkansas has big crowds too. and They're used to playing in front of big crowds. It's more us than them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's, it's more It's more about our internal pressures. And I hated the old comment that Coach Polk used to say, it's just pressure on the boys. But it's, it's, it's very real. It's because at the end of the day, I remember Jonathan Holder telling me a story about pitching in the regionals here in Starkville in 2013. We're playing Central Arkansas the first game. And he comes out of the bullpen and the crowd rises to his feet. And I, I may have told this story before. And Holder comes out and he was not very good that night. And I see him the next day. I was like, hey, man, everything okay? He said, man, let me tell you something. They opened that gate last night. Those people started cheering. My knees buckled. And so even if you have the persona, it's still sometimes an 18-year-old or 19-year-old kid walking out and going, oh, wow, this is crazy. And sometimes it takes you from being willing to hit that ground ball to the right side to move a runner to now trying to do something extra with it. And that's one of the challenges, too, is to just to remember your job and to do your job, not to try to do too much to impress the crowd. Sometimes you have 
pregame meals. You have the pregame meal four hours before the game, and then when the guys go back after batting practice, a lot of times there's some tacos or something out, you know, on the table or whatever. I'm telling you right now, I think you give an extra taco, an extra fajita, an extra burrito for every time Josh Hatcher goes up the middle the other way. I say, let me tell you something. You get you get an extra one. You get an extra taco every time you go up the middle of the way. We'll, have, we'll add dessert <laughs> to the menu. Hey, Charlie, enjoyed it. Hey, looking forward to this weekend. We've got Saturday and Sunday, and so uh, we'll, we'll be on the SEC Network Plus on Saturday, Sunday. And as we said, Tom Hart and Kyle Peterson will have the Friday night game here at Duty Noble Field. So, hey, looking forward to it. Fun time. Both teams are playing well right now. It should be a great time. And we appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.